Welcome back, and thanks for joining me for another episode of Carla Reads the Classics. I welcome your comments, your questions, and your suggestions. Please write to me at CarlaReadsTheClassics at gmail.com. And now, let's jump back into Theodore Pratt's The Money to see what the kids are up to. Segment 21. Most of the next week, Joey stood up at the meetings of the five musketeers in the clubhouse, even while watching their favorite forbidden TV programs. Henny wanted to know what he did at home so his folks would notice. I sit, Joey reported wryly, but easy. He did not seem to hold anything against Paul, Gracie, or Henny, but he did against George. He was cool and often antagonistic towards him, and it was evident that he resented the extra blows landed on him by George, feeling that they were uncalled for and unwarranted. The others had not understood them either. They instituted one reform. After the experience with Joey, they decided the money had to be counted again. They did this in the morning one day, just in case Mr. McGill might visit them again on his afternoon round. Henny, George ordered, you dig it up. I'm always the one digging, Henny complained. Let somebody else do it for a change. You, maybe. I'm the president, and I'm ordering you to dig, Henny. Henny dug, though he didn't like it. Four of the chairs were put together to form a table for the counting. George remained seated on his. This time he would supervise the procedure. You counted, Paul, since you're the treasurer and you wanted to before so much. Paul counted. George was not being generous in letting him do it. There was none of the excitement and fervor for doing this that there had been the first time. Instead, it seemed like work, a chore, as in school. Gracie jotted down the numbers and Henny stacked the packets after they were counted. Joey was not allowed to touch them and did not try. It was a tiresome and boring task and they were glad when it was completed. Not not much interest was shown in the result. They still had $208,802.25. They determined not to lose track again. They had taken very little for themselves beyond the expense of the TV, the flag, and not quite $100 worth of coke. The largest expenditure had been for that of the gravestone of Mr. Wesley, and that seemed appropriate and right. George mused. When you think of it like that, Maybe we ought to increase the takeout every week. I think I'll make it five dollars from here on. Except we still got to be careful how we let it be seen. They didn't care for his making such a decision when they felt all of them should have had a hand in it, but at the prospect of the increase they did not protest. George, sensing their feelings, made a move toward making himself more popular. And while we're at it, why don't we declare a bonus of ten dollars apiece? There were no objections to this. Today being another takeout day, this meant a largesse of $15 each. It was taken out and distributed. Paul did the figuring this time, giving Gracie the new balance, which was $208,727.25. We've got to take out more still, George revealed, because of what day it is tomorrow. All except Paul looked their question at him. July 29th, exclaimed Paul. What's that mean? asked Joey. We go to see Mr. Wesley Stone, said Gracie. And I've been thinking, George revealed, and I don't see why we have to take the bus out there. You mean we'll walk? asked Joey. Walk, said George contemptuously. 
He pointed to the still open money box. When we've got that? But how will we go? Asked Gracie. If we don't walk and we don't go by bus, how do we go? Henny wanted to know. George waved a hand. Grandly, he announced, we'll take a taxi. The idea hit them like a bombshell. Hey, a taxi. We can afford it. Out and back, George proposed. Only Paul did not express enthusiasm. It's all right by me, he said, but there's one thing I don't get. He addressed himself to George. First, when we had the money, you didn't want to take much or spend it. Now you're doing quite a bit. A person can change his mind, George explained, and we had to be extra careful at first. That doesn't mean we won't be careful now, for instance, with the taxi cab. We won't have him call for us here, but get him a little ways away. He elucidated his shift of viewpoint more fully. And maybe I don't realize—I didn't realize how much money we've got. Why, do you know something? I'll bet in that box is more money than any of us will ever earn in all his life. Maybe more than one of us, said Henny. I'll bet three, said Gracie. Maybe all of us, said Joey. They didn't know about that, but they knew the prospect of the taxi ride to see Mr. Wesley's headstone was exciting. How much do we take out for the taxi ride, Paul wanted to know. George pursed his lips. It's pretty far out there, and I don't see why we don't have him wait for us while we're there. It might not be so easy to find another cab once we're there. So maybe we'd better take $20, maybe even 25 to be on the safe side. He took this out on the spot to save digging up the box again the following day. Paul deducted and gave Gracie the new figure for her notebook, $208,702.25. No matter how much they took out, it didn't seem to change the total amount much. It looked about the same after each deduction. Paul complained that George ought, George ought to think of all the deductions at once so as to save them arithmetic work, but George waved this away. The next day in the morning, they met at the clubhouse, but opened it only to get out the flag and have Joey raise it, it being his turn. Then they left Buckingham Hills to find a taxi cab. They had to walk into the city quite a way to do this, and finally they found one waiting at a small hotel. Before they got in, George looked in and saw that it was the kind that had two jump seats in front of the regular seat, so there would be room for all of them. But before they were allowed in, the driver, a red-faced man who was half bald and slightly harried-looking, shifted in his seat to the right-hand side and, and put his hand on the door and asked, "'Where do you want to go?' They named the cemetery, but this did not satisfy him. "'That's a good drag out there.' You kids got money? They were all affronted. Now so accustomed to having the money, it did not seem right for anyone to question it. None of them cared to answer the man. Instead, George reached in his pocket and took out his roll. In it, in addition to the $25 that had been allotted to the taxi ride, was his own money, so that the roll made quite a good showing. The driver's eyes bulged. He croaked, Get in! They got in. George sat in the middle, the most important place, with Gracie at one side of him and Henny on the other. Paul and Joey took the jump seats. The driver put up his flag, 
the meter started to tick and they were off. It felt grand and rich riding in a taxi cab. It was a nice feeling being able to afford it. When you looked at the people walking, you felt quite superior. You even felt you were better than people riding in private cars, for that didn't cost as much, nor did it have as much class. The only thing that could beat this, maybe, was having a limousine and a chauffeur. But they didn't see any of these, so they were the kings of the road. The only one, the only thing that disappointed them was that their driver did not go very fast. He seemed to plod along. They whispered among themselves at this and suggested to their leader that he do something about it. George leaned forward and said, Let's go faster. Without turning his head, the driver replied, I'm going fast enough. You mind your business and I'll mind mine. Right away after he said that, he added, Whatever your business is. What you doing in the cemetery? Gracie giggled. Influenced by her, Joey followed suit. Henny laughed and Paul joined them. And finally, George began to laugh too. As the taxi cab went along, they rocked it with their hilarity. The driver was offended, feeling he was being laughed at. All right, all right, what's the matter with you? His question set them off into greater gales. They burst out almost hysterically, unable to control themselves. Above this, the driver demanded, What's so funny? It was a little time before any of them could stop giggling and laughing enough to answer. Then Henny got out. You said, mind your business, and then you asked right away about our business. Okay, okay, the driver cried. He fell silent, then resentful, at hauling fresh kids with more money than was good for them. The five musketeers simmered down when they reached the cemetery. Out the window of the taxi they saw the stone man's place and his samples. He wasn't about, but they planned to visit him on the way back. It's gone, cried Joey. George demanded, what's gone? The black stone. It stood no longer in the stone man's yard, which meant it must be over in the cemetery set up at the head of Mr. Wesley's grave. George, as though it was useless to question such a thing, asked Joey, What do you think? They gave the driver directions as to how to reach their destination, or at least they tried to. The first one George gave did not turn out to be right, so they had to take another narrow road through the cemetery. Still, they couldn't find it. The driver stopped disgustedly for more directions. It's over there, said Henny. No, the other way, Gracie said, pointing. The driver growled, make up your minds. Joey said nothing, but Paul stated, I remember the big tomb right ahead when we came before. It's back of that. And so it was. They caught their first glimpse of it from afar. The driver stopped and they piled out. He sat there with his meter ticking. George asked, does it keep ticking while we're here? Sure it keeps ticking. You think I'm waiting for nothing? The fact did not hurry them. They trooped over to Mr. Wesley's grave and stood before it. The black block of marble looked even larger here because it had a little more room. Its beautiful polish glistened in the sun. Again, they could see their reflections in it, though this time they were broken by the fine lettering that had been cut into the stone. Alfred Wesley was there in large letters, and then, below and smaller, was the year of his birth, as figured out by the stone man and the year of his death. They were silent at the, as they took it in. They felt like praying, but didn't. Their comments when they came were muted. It sure looks fine. I think he polished it some more. I'd like a black one for mine. 
I'll bet Mr. Wesley likes it. I'm glad we did it. They waited. They walked all around the black stone, admiring it front, one side, back, and the other side. They noticed some flowers on other graves, and resolved some day to come out and put flowers on Mr. Wesley's. They felt they owed it to him. Today, he seemed like a paternal benefactor to them. They stood admiring his stone some more from the front, and then they felt, and then when they felt they couldn't do anything further, they left with a few lingering backward glances at it. The driver, though he had seen the grave they visited, made no comment on it as if it might be dangerous. They piled in again, and George took the center of the back seat as though it belonged to him by divine right. But this time, Joey clamored for himself and Paul not to be relegated to the jump seats. So Gracie and Henny took these while Joey and Paul sat on either side of George. The taxicab left the cemetery. As they came out to the road in front of the stone man's place, they were about to tell the driver to stop here, but they saw that the stone man was out front now talking to people. We'd better not, Henny whispered. To this they agreed and said nothing to the driver, but they looked back, craning their necks to see the stone man. They enjoyed the return ride, but not quite as much as going out, for their visit had subdued them. They told the driver to take them to Buckingham Hills, but before they reached there, about three blocks away, they told him to stop and let them out. The driver, shaking his head, obeyed. They got out. The meter read $11.40. George pulled out his roll and peeled off $12. The driver made change, handing back 60 cents, two quarters and a dime. When George was about to pocket this, the driver said, How about a tip? Tip, inquired George. People that ride cabs give tips, Paul protested. But we paid you a whole $11 and that don't have nothing to do with the tip, Joey began. I don't see why... Shut up, George ordered him. He repeated Joey's words. I don't see why we should give you a tip. Come on, kid, a tip. George was about to reply in anger when Gracie took him by the arm and pulled him aside a little. The others joined them while Gracie advised. I don't see why either, but maybe we'd better or he'll say something. Gracie's right, Paul said. Henny pointed out. He knows we live in Buckingham Hills because we told him to take us there first. We'd better do what he says, Joey held. George conceded this under duress. They went back. George still had the 60 cents and change in his hand. He opened his hand and studied the coins. He selected a quarter and gave it to the driver. That ain't enough for a trip like that. George hesitated. Angry but cowed, he picked up the dime and handed that over. How about for the waiting? You got another two bits there? George threw this at him. It hit his chest and dropped down somewhere in the car. Hey, damn kids! They stomped away. Do you think he'll say anything? I don't care. I don't care what he can say. He doesn't even know our names. But he knows where we live. I don't see why we have to tip somebody we've paid. I don't think he'll say anything. What if he does? They wondered why having money frequently made them afraid. They returned to the clubhouse, saw that their big flag was flying fine, and opened up and started the TV. George made no move to return the money left over from the $25 appropriated for the taxi cab ride until reminded by Gracie. Then, still angry by his defeat from the taxi cab driver, he said, The president's going to keep it. Joey demanded, For yourself? 
I'm still doing more work than anybody. Maybe you are, said Gracie, but that's no reason to keep what belongs to all. Not thirteen dollars, Henny agreed. Aggressively, George demanded, Who says? Paul repeated an answer to this question he had given once before. We say. He looked about at the others, gauging their temper, and, emboldened, proceeded to speak further for those standing against their leader. And we say that if you keep on doing things like this, maybe we'd better have another election of officers and elect another president. George scowled. He studied them. At this threat of being removed from office, he growled, Ah, let's split it. There was divided opinion about this until Paul advised, as though wanting to go further against George, We're taking out too much. It ought to go back. To this they agreed. Sullenly, George brought forth the money. The box had to be dug up again, and the thirteen dollars put back and entered on the books, which was something of a nuisance, including figuring that their balance was now $208,715.25. The ride out to the cemetery had been exciting, and Mr. Wesley Stone was beautiful, but the ride back and its aftermath, with both the taxicab driver and George not behaving pleasantly, somehow spoiled the day. That's it for segment 21. Thanks for listening. Until next time.